Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. We are concluding a study into a growing personal relationship with God. We've said that the secret to that burgeoning relationship is love. A love for God is an excessive thing. It is willing to do for God what others won't. We are using the example of the sinful woman found in Luke chapter 7, who in the house of a Pharisee named Simon finds the Lord Jesus seated to eat. And she comes to him and washes his feet with her tears and anoints them and kisses them. That is excessive love. And the question remains, what would cause a person to love God, to love Jesus, in such an excessive way? But the person who truly loves the Lord Jesus expresses that love by going and acting in ways that go beyond decorum, that go beyond the simple lines that they draw and rules that they make. They see where others are not honoring Christ and they burn to give Him the honor that others are not. You actually may take note at times in your life that there are individuals who claim to know the Lord Jesus, but you see in their lives that He's not being honored by them. He's not being revered by Him. He's not being served or obeyed by Him as their profession should indicate. And in those moments, as it happens, there is a kind of indignation that rises up within you, and with it, a kind of determination that where these individuals might be calculating what is the minimal requirement that they have to give to the Lord Jesus and still claim somehow an interest in His life, you think to yourself, Lord, I want to give everything. I want to pour everything to You. What I'm suggesting here is that love feels a certain desire to increase honor where it sees that honor is being withheld. And when love is compelled in this way, and when it's compelled by love and not self-righteousness, you'll discover that when it's expressed, there's no pride taken in it. There's no sense of, well, I'll show them how to really love God. When it's love, it's an abandonment where you actually do things that people would think look a little crazy, look a little odd, and you don't care. You know, a child lives in a home where another sibling is acting out and maybe rebelling against their parents and they're disturbed by this disrespect. So they resolve that, they'll be all the more respectful to the parent. That's basically the idea. Simply stated, it's this. Love wants to give more. Love calls upon us to be excessive in the service of the one that we love. I think you may reasonably question the temperature of your love for Christ if your calculations and the applications of your love for Him are figured out on this basis. What is required and what is not required of me? Let's draw the lines here. I just want to be able to find out what it's... I suggest you that if you want to progress in a love life with anybody, that the tabulation you make is not, what is the minimum that this will demand of me? If I can just figure out what the minimum is, and it's acceptable, it's good. I'll love this person. You'll have a pretty wretched marriage, let me tell you that. Now, love says, am I willing to give all to this? Am I willing to surrender myself completely in every way to this? Love that responds to the love of God says something like this. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. 
A genuine, here's what we began with on this point, a genuine and deep love is an excessive thing. If you've figured out the course of your Christian life on what is the least disruptive pathway for yourself in living it for Jesus, if you've determined the day or the days that you'll give him, and that's enough, the limits of the money that you'll surrender to him, the limit of the effort and the time that you'll give to him, the limit of the risk you'll take to your own reputation before others in following him, the limit of the comforts that you're willing to give up to obey him, if you found that you want to dine with Jesus, so to speak, but you've calculated your life along these lines, well, then you're, you're like Simon the Pharisee. You're not like the woman who is being honored in this story. But the question remains for us. What is the mainspring? What is the motivating force that ignites this kind of self-abandoned, sacrificial profuse love that we see this woman offering at this point in time. And so this will be our second point. The motivating force for loving Christ is this, to have a loving God forgive you freely. The motivating force to this kind of excessive love is to have a loving God freely pour out upon you His forgiveness. Forgiveness creates the experience, the profound experience of forgiveness creates this kind of love. Let's go back to the story for a moment. Simon actually lacks any kind of true respect for the Lord Jesus, and it's reflected in the thoughts that he has to himself. He says, if this man were a prophet, as this woman is weeping and wiping his feet, if this man were a prophet, the Jews had an idea that the Messiah would be a prophet, and as a prophet, he would know the hearts of other individuals. And Simon has heard the kind of rumors that have been going around that Jesus is a prophet and that this could be the Messiah, and so he's checking them out. But now he meets the Lord Jesus and the action that's taking place at his very table with a cynical, disdainful thought. Basically, it's this. This woman is a reputable, terrible sinner. Everyone in this community knows completely who she is, and this man is totally unaware of what kind of person she is. If this man had any ounce of discernment, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman she was and he'd never let her touch him. This holier-than-thou know-it-all is condescending about the woman and condescending in his attitude about the Lord Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus is a prophet. And as a prophet, he does know what's in the heart and thoughts of men. And he knows what's in the thought of Simon himself. And so what the Lord Jesus says next shows that he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. The very thing that Simon thinks he's not a prophet because he doesn't know. He knows and he shows it right now. Simon, there were two men in debt to the same person. One owed a large debt and the other owed a small one. But both could not pay their debt. And then both are freely forgiven without requirement by this man, this creditor. Let me ask you something, Simon. Which of them would love him more? Simon answers, well, I suppose the one with the larger debt. I like this point in the story. The Lord Jesus turns from Simon and looks at the woman as she's weeping over his feet and kissing them. He continues to address Simon, and as he does, Simon's eyes have to follow where the Lord Jesus is looking. You gave me not one of the customs of honor as a guest in your home. No washing on my feet, no kiss of peace, no pinch of anointing oil on my head. She, on the other hand, 
has washed my feet by her tears and with her hair. She has poured out precious oil and ointment upon my feet, and she's not stopped kissing them. Why, Simon? Why? Simon, it's because she has been forgiven of all her great sins. If you love just a little, Simon, you know what it means? It means that you've been forgiven just a little. I want you to note something here, by the way. The Lord Jesus is not saying that this woman has been forgiven because she loves. Just the opposite. He's saying that she loves so greatly because she's been forgiven. She serves so wonderfully because she's been forgiven. She reverences Him in this way because she has been forgiven. Her love, her service, her reverence is an expression that she has experienced God's forgiven. And it is grateful love that pours out of a life that has been set free from the burden of its sins. She may be just the day before had heard the Lord Jesus say something like, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. Maybe just the day before she had heard the Lord Jesus say, if you come and enter in through me, you'll be saved and I'll bring you into a pasture where you'll feed forever unto eternity. Maybe she heard him say something like, come unto me, all of you who are laboring are heavy burdened by your sin and I'll give you rest. And in that moment, She began to believe that the immense mountain of failure and sin and wretchedness that she had become buried underneath could be removed by the Lord Jesus. And she believed it and she trusted in Him and she looked to Him and in that moment, she knew forgiveness. She knew it. She felt it. She became aware of it. And what was born out of that? Love. Overwhelming love. Irresistible urge to express her love. She wasn't saved by her act of washing his feet, of kissing his feet. She washed his feet and she kissed his feet and she poured ointment on his feet. And she loved him this way because she had been saved. In fact, the Lord Jesus makes it very clear at the end. He says to her, as a lesson for everyone else, he doesn't say, your love has saved you. Your act of adoration has saved you. That does he. He says, your faith has saved you. You believe me for this. That's what brought you salvation. Here's what she's experiencing. She's experiencing what David speaks about in Psalm 32.1. How blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sins have been covered. (laughs) She is at this moment experiencing blessedness. She just knows she's blessed. And oh, the love begins to pour out from her. The believer is someone who has been forgiven and cleansed by the washing of renewal and with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ poured out upon them. We, in a sense, laid our hands by faith upon the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and in that moment He took all of our sins away because He died in our place. We confessed our sins. We were honest with God and we told God, we're just sinners. This is what we have and we have nothing to offer. And We didn't say, God, give me a second try. Give me another chance. No, we said, God, forgive me and give me a new life. Give me a second birth. And he did, and he transformed us, and he changed us. Oh, the love that was born in our life at that moment. Go to Titus chapter 3. Let me read you verses 3 through 6 for a moment. Paul Wright puts it this way, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. Paul is not simply surmising the life of some wretched individual like this woman. He's surmising his own life. We ourselves were also all these things. 
foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving lust, pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, when we began to grasp and understand God's kindness and love towards us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Romans 5.5 5, actually speaking of the grace that we received of salvation through Jesus Christ tells us as a result of that, that by the Spirit, the love of God has been poured out upon our hearts. You see, God has done something excessive and effusive for the believer. He's poured out upon us His love, poured out upon us His life, poured out upon us the free flow of His blood, washing us and cleansing us of all of our sins. We've Respond to the excessive poured out love of God by excessively pouring back upon Him our love. He has effusively saved us and we effusively love Him because He has done just that. We can never love God and get away from His gospel. The gospel says that we are nothing without Him but lost and condemned sinners. It says that we can be nothing without Jesus but fruitless, desolate wanderers from God. But God loves us so, and in Christ Jesus, He loved us enough to die for us while we were yet sinners. And knowing that, by the Spirit, oh, the love we give in return to Him. You've been listening to Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.